You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast. Another guest today. You got this guy on. You fall. You're the analytic guy for the first. 10 minutes, you guys are just nerding out too with much, analytics stuff. Sorry. Um, no, it's good. It's a great conversation. And, um, yeah, I mean, you've been following this guy for a while. Yeah, he's just like he has such awesome content because I think a lot of the analytics guys get caught up in, uh, like, you know, numbers, right, and not really portraying what the numbers mean. When you actually have a guy, because he – Jack used to work for the Marlies as an assistant coach and then with the Leafs as a, as an analyst. So he like, he's a pro hockey guy and he knows systems and tactics and he like breaks it down in, in that respect. So rather than looking at, you know, say a percentile and be like, Oh, Jonathan Huberto is his passing metrics are great. It's like Jack has watched a ton of video. He knows like how to explain that in a way that's relatable to hockey when you're actually watching hockey. So that's why I think he's such an interesting guy. Cause it's not just numbers. It's actually like how the game is being played. So um, it's, it's always, he's got, he's got like a, he's got a killer website. He's play his eBooks are awesome. So he's just a cool guy. So Jack Hunt is today's guest. And um, we go over some of the new flames additions, Huberto, Uyghur, as well as a little bit on Kadri. Also touch on the Oilers debacle. How do we beat these lame idiots? And then uh, Daryl Sutter systems and how that uh, impacts NHL and how it compares in the NHL, as well as uh, his favorite Calgary Flame of all time. So I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Stick around after because we'll do a little bit of uh, uh, some camp review so far, what we've seen in the first two weeks. Enjoy the show. I think most people who listen to our show probably are familiar with, with your work because we have Kent Wilson on all the time, and I know he... He and you kind of roll in the same circles. But if you don't know who Jack is, he is a hockey analyst and consultant. He focuses on tactics and player development. He's worked at the AHL and NHL level with the Toronto Marlies and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And pretty much my favorite resource for anything hockey related on his Substack or his hockey tactics books. They're awesome. So we're thrilled to have him jump on and talk some flames with us. How's it going, Jack? Excellent. Thank you for the intro. And um, yeah, re really, really happy to, to know that people are getting value out of the things I'm putting out. Exactly uh, what I had in mind when, when I started doing public work again after working in pro hockey for, uh, for three years. So, so really, really great to be able to uh, talk hockey with a, a variety of people again. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I guess we'll start with um, <laughs> there's been no shortage of news in Calgary this summer. Obviously, we thought we'd start with Jonathan Huberto, who is our new favorite player and person alive. Um, 
coming in off the heel. Like we were privileged to watch Johnny Gaudreau play for a lot of years in Calgary. And now we're like super privileged to watch maybe a similar type of player, but I think we'll kind of maybe start there with Huberto and take it as far as, as we can go. Um, I think first off, maybe, cause obviously the comparable is like, Oh, he's just Gaudreau. He's an elite playmaker. And they're the, kind of the same guy. He's just maybe a bit bigger. So Maybe we could just kind of start with maybe a breakdown of, of what Huberto does in terms of his strengths, his weaknesses, what we can kind of expect from his game. Okay. Well, um, I think it's, it's uh, pretty appropriate that you, you describe Huberto as like a slightly bigger Gaudreau. I actually think they're, they're quite different players if you look at it in a more kind of a more nuanced or deeper uh, in a deeper way. Yeah. Um, so here, here's one fun fact for you. So I, I, I just looked this up on uh, natural stat trick. If we go back to 2019 and we, we set a cutoff of, let's say, 60 minutes of three-on-three three time, uh, Jonathan Huberto is by far the best three-on-three three player in the entire NHL. If you look at, uh, first of all, actual goals, but also expected goals when he's on the ice. Uh, and, and I think if you watch him play, like you're going to see a guy with great wheels, great hands, a great sense for creating offense and a guy who, who has a good shot and uses it once in a while. Right. And uh, really promising stuff. Right. But the, the thing that, that I find really interesting is, okay, so he's by far the best three on three player in the league. He's nowhere close to being the best five on five player in the league. And, you know, as, as someone who grew up in Quebec and as someone who, who grew up playing hockey in Quebec, I kind of have a bias against, players like Huberto because I played with and against a lot of players like that who have great wheels, great hands, who can score, but as soon as the space disappears, the offense dries up too, mm. right? And, and um, when when uh, Calgary first acquired Huberto and then signed him to that big contract, not to say that he's going to underperform that contract or, or that he's not going to perform well, I just want to manage expectations because he's not the same kind of player as, as Gaudreau because um, the, the thing that Gaudreau does that's really special for me is that he's one of the best at creating space. Whereas what Huberdeau does is he either exploits space by carrying the puck around you or he just kind of forces pucks through you and he's able to make it work because he's got such great hands and he's such a good passer, right? So for me, like, uh, obviously, you know, whatever works, in hockey, but it, it, I've always had a bias for players like Gaudreau who kind of moves you out of the way as opposed to players like Huberto who, you know, have a lot of skill, but force plays for you. And, you know, if, if you look at both players, I know neither of them have been great playoff performers necessarily. Like if you, if you just look at points per game, they're, they're both down compared to the regular season for Gaudreau's because he's small and he gets pushed around and, you know, in tight spaces, he can get out muscled, but for Huberto, it's because once he starts playing against good playoff teams, championship contenders, the space is just not available anymore. And you kind of saw that with Florida the past couple of years, like regular season juggernauts. And then in the postseason, all of a sudden they have trouble scoring. And Huberto is kind of, for me, the most obvious case study for, for that whole thing, because in the playoffs, the first two things to dry up are rush offense, because again, you're only playing against the top half of the league. 
And generally speaking, these teams are better organized and they got better defenders. And second is power play. And again, you're playing against the top half of the league in terms of probably PK and, and defending. And then once Huberto's offense dries up, you see that he doesn't really have a lot else to contribute. So it's not like a Matthew Kachuk or uh, an Andrew Mangiapane or even a Nazem Kadri, who, you know, if they're getting shut down off the rush, they can retrieve you to death. They can maybe lay the body. They can pin you in your zone. They can make it difficult. And then, um, you know, Huberto doesn't really have that. So not to say that he's not going to be a great player for the Flames, but I just want to manage expectations for those who thinks that he's going to be all things to all people. Right. Well, that's a bummer, man. Hey, we're expecting him to be our savior. <laughs> no, it, it, it is true. Like, um, you know, if you look at some of his underlying metrics, you know, the way he creates offense strictly off the rush when compared to like Johnny Gaudreau, who's, you know, really good at creating in zone offense as well. So, I think maybe the follow-up question is because the Flames had a ton of success last year, really based off that top line being so unreal and so dominant. So how much of that kind of like eats into how much success they're going to have this year? Like, can they still kind of manage to be a a top tier team in the Pacific? I think so. Yeah. I, 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 Actually, funny enough, I just recorded a podcast with uh, like a Kings, like an LA Kings podcast. And, you know, I, we were talking about what their outlook is like, and they have a lot of kind of high upside pieces, whereas the Flames is kind of the opposite. I I think you know what you're going to get from them. Um, But then also some of those players, they may be starting to decline a little bit. And certainly I think the upside of this team is pretty capped. Um, you know, I think last year they, they did really well with their style of play um, and, and how they maximize everybody. So this year, you know, if they have a repeat of what they had last year, which is a, a 0.677 point percentage, that, that for me would be extraordinary, right? Like this is a team that I think is pretty a pretty clear playoff team. But, you know, I... Again, I manage the expectations. Like, don't be disappointed yeah. if there's a bit of a step back compared to last year. Well, and I think maybe another question I had for you is, like, you know, I've heard Daryl Sutter talked about, I think this was one of the first thing he mentioned when he took over was, like, too many guys have relied off of rush offense over the past few years, and that dries up in the playoffs, right? Um, is there a way, what can, what can Huberto do under Daryl Sutter? Like, how can Sutter kind of, like, maybe push him in a direction to can he change his game is this something daryl sutter can work with him Mm -hmm. so the the interesting thing that i'm kind of looking forward to seeing whether he's going to play with kadri or with linholm because linholm actually he does a lot of things that barkov does in terms of being sound defensively being even more like a like a third defenseman at times staying high being a shooter, kind of being in space. And, and he had a ton of success with Gaudreau because Gaudreau would kind of, he would start with the puck. He would find a play, slip it to Lindholm in space. And then that's either a one-timer or a catch and shoot. And, you know, that's how Lindholm scores because off the rush, Lindholm is not the fastest. So he's, he's a bit like a, like a better Toffoli at this point. Like these mm-hmm. are both two kind of in zone spot shooters off the cycle. Um, Whereas Kadri is more either off the rush or he'll kind of score off of these broken plays. Like he's not as much of a, I would say a thinker as a Lindholm or Toffoli is. 
Um, and then, you know, Manjapani, I think he's going to be a, a really good top six player for them. Again, more of a retriever, more of kind of a, an instinct kind of player. Um, so perhaps something like um, Huberto, Lindholm, Manjapani could be effective because then, you know, Huberto can play with the puck, but then he, he could have an option that's more of a shooter to Lindholm or uh, an option that's more of a puck retriever like, like Manjapani. So perhaps that could work. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to be as effective. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be as effective yeah. as the, the Gaudreau, Kachuk, and Lindholm line last year. But maybe there, there's a path for Calgary to have two pretty good top six lines. Um, and, and, and if that's the case, then, you know, with Sutter's system that, you know, doesn't give you a whole lot off the rush going the other way, I think they'll be fine. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is, you know, one of the best ways to score that's not off the rush is off what I call re-entry. So what happens is you progress up ice, you set up in the ozone, you wear down the defenseman a little bit, um, the opposing defenders, you know, you, maybe you, you, you create a couple of shot attempts. And then at some point, the other team, they get the puck back, but they're so tired and disorganized that they're just happy kind of punting the puck out of the zone. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to create a turnover inside the red line on those kind of plays, it's almost like getting a mini rush again. So in those situations, Huberto can be really good because you're basically creating kind of a small area three on two or two on two against people who are tired. And then you got speed going back toward the net. Now, what that requires requires from him is first of all, that he kind of follows the, the Calgary flames way of playing that he kind of sustains a bit of offense and that he has enough energy left over to get that last re-entry rush to end the shift and hopefully get something good out of that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. The Toffoli, the Toffoli piece is interesting because he was a guy that we were kind of looking at hopefully getting for a number of seasons when he was moving around all over the place and we needed a guy just like him. He was great the first six games we had him last year, and then he kind of tapered off. I don't know if it was so much due to conditioning or what it was, but he hasn't really looked too strong uh, so far in camp, and I don't know how much of that you can write off, but I'm not sure if he'll stick around on that top line. So who who was he playing uh, most of last year and and so far? Well, he played with – I think he played with uh, Yarncroc and Dubé in the playoffs. Okay. Um, I think he had some time with Monaghan before Monaghan was shut down. So, I mean, not the greatest, but I think he was also playing with uh, Manjapani a little bit, Manjapani and Backlund from time to time too. So kind of just all over the map. He, he yeah. never really had a solid set of line mates. Yeah, so not, not a great situation for him. Like in his best years with uh, Carter and uh, what's the third one? Is it was, was it Ryan Spooner or I forget, but you know, it's tough for him because he doesn't have the speed to create a whole lot by himself, but then he's such a smart player that like, you know, playing him with Dubé and Yarncroc is not ideal because he's not getting, he's not going to get passes in those high danger areas, right? Like Dubé is very much kind of a a down the wing kind of tunnel vision kind of player. And then Yarncroc can do a little bit of everything, but he's not really the best guy at creating those passing lanes. Like let's say Gaudreau can. So, um, you know, maybe uh, if you have the Kadri line, let's say with, let's say Blake Coleman and Manjapani, 
taking on the matchup role, and then you can have a bit of a softer matchup for Lindholm, uh, Huberto potentially, and Toffoli. Like maybe that that could really work. Another or, vote. Uh, another vote for Andrew Mangiapane on the top line. I love it. Yeah. 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 Well, especially against opposing teams top lines because he can yeah. play whichever way right he can he can grind and he can play off the rush and he can make life difficult for you he works really hard um you know like like a very easy comparable is Brendan Gallagher and Gallagher's played against top lines since mm-hmm. basically his second season in the league right yeah totally um I think the, the next follow-up question is I think in regards to Mackenzie Weger, I mean, you can keep going on Jonathan Huberto any way you want, but just want to touch on Weger while we have you. Um, Cause he's a guy, a lot of us, like even Huberto to an extent, right? Like every, like everyone was stoked, but it's like, I've watched Jonathan you know, Florida. I don't really watch the Florida Panthers play. So like, I, I don't have a, uh, a, a huge beat on how, jo- how John, the intricacies of Jonathan Huberto's game. So Mackenzie Weger is a guy we've heard a lot about a guy who, um, we've heard is very underrated and one of one of the most underrated guys in the league. I've, I've watched him a handful of times. He seems like he's going to fit in real well, but what can you maybe tell us about Mackenzie Weger and why he is so good? So he's like Raspus Anderson, except he makes more plays. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's how I describe it. Like perfect. the, the perfect. only knock on him is that he's not the biggest and he's not extremely fast in a straight line, but everything else about him is, is top notch just a top-notch guy like especially you know like i think anderson's got a bit more reach he he maybe you know maybe defends a little bit better at this point but having both of them in your top four on the right side like that's that's super for me yeah i watched some of your i watched one of your breakdowns or it was an article i think you broke down it was with the guards of the lightning but it was just espousing all of uyghurs uh how great he played and i've just been watching some of his game tape from last year man he's just such a smart player and all three zones of the ice, even though he's not the fastest guy. Um, some one question that kind of comes up in Calgary with regards to the new additions, I think specifically with Weger and Kadri, is are the Flames maybe better situated to meet the Oilers in a playoff <laughs> matchup this season as opposed to last season? Um, so maybe could you kind of uh, talk about that and then? Not that you're going to be able to shut down McDavid, but tactically, what can the Flames kind of do to maybe adjust for playing a team like Edmonton or a high offense team? Because we've kind of seen the Flames in the past few playoff rounds get shell-shocked by the Avalanche in 2019, which put them on their heels and rolled them over. And kind of the same thing happened last year against the Oilers. Um, so what what can we do to beat the stupid Oilers? So, so what... The- how many games did the series go against the Oilers? Five games. Uh, five the, games. The Flames was, won the first game. Uh, eight nine to, to six. Nine to six. Yeah. They, they blew two five goal leads. I was there. It was it was insane. <laughs> it was crazy. But, uh, but yeah, the the series wasn't even close after that. So I, I mean, for, from your point of view, like, what was the biggest problem? Was it just McDavid skating through people? Well, well it was probably a combination of goaltending and also dry side on McDavid just being nuclear. Yeah, the t- our top line got demolished yeah. by by them. And then we had some injuries in the back end. Tanev wasn't healthy. Zadorov wasn't healthy. Their defense had no – could could not stop him. And Markstrom was, was terrible too, so. That sounds like a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, yeah. 
It's really yeah. fun. It's been fun ever since, actually. Yeah, talking yeah. to Oilers fans all the time. It's great. I I mean, okay, so, uh, so I was in Toronto, kind of toward the end of Kadri's tenure, and the thing that I think really, the the single best thing that happened to him in his career was when he got promoted to like top line matchup role, because I think he really thrives when challenged, and he really thrives when he he finds adversity. And I'm talking about Kadri. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hypothetically, if the Flames meet the Oilers again, then it's going to be, you know, can Kadri get under McDavid's skin? Obviously, McDavid is a better player, right? But can Kadri throw McDavid off his game and force him to defend and force him to take hits and force him to, I don't know, do things that are not McDavid things? And if he can do that, then at least the rest of the team has a fighting chance. <laughs> well that please nazim we'll pray to we'll pray to nazim to be able to do this we're yeah we're stoked to have kadri i i i i kind of forgot that you had been there at the kind of the end of kadri it feels like he's been gone from toronto for like 20 years already but it hasn't really been that long actually if you look at it, it hasn't been it's been like four or five years yeah and and i mean again it's you know, he's, he's a skilled player, but he's more like, almost like a Manjapani where like the skill takes a backseat to the effort and the, right. and the, the engagement level. Um, I don't know how well that's going to age. Maybe, I mean, probably we've already seen the best of Nazem Kadri, but you know, he's still a really good player and maybe there's, there's a way for, especially Sutter's system, because in a system, you don't, you get up ice and you stay up ice. So you don't necessarily scramble or skate around as much as you would in, you know, let's say in Edmonton system or even Winnipeg system. So right. um, it, it, it's very methodical and maybe that's going to serve him well. It, it's a lot of kind of shooting and retrieving the offensive zone and small area quickness and, and beating people to puck battles. So I don't know, maybe that's going to help him age a little bit better. That's a good segue to the next question. I mean, the Flames before last season missed the playoffs in the bubble in the all Canadian division. It was a really rough time for Flames fans. We had Jeff Ward and then Daryl Sutter came in too late to turn the season around. Nobody really knew what to expect. I don't think many people even picked the the Flames to make the playoffs. And then sure enough, they win the division. Uh, Daryl Sutter wins the coach of the year. What do you see from a system philosophy standpoint? You just alluded to it a bit, but what has Daryl Sutter done systematically to this team to make them so much more competitive, basically, you know, overnight? So I, I heard a really good story from a former colleague of mine, uh, Scott Pellerin, who, who was uh, in player development for LA when Sutter first got hired over there. And the way that he told me was, you know, LA had a team that already had a lot of those pieces that were going to help them get the two cups. Um, I think other than Jeff Carter, they had essentially the rest of the team already kind of set up, you know, with Dowdy and Kopitar and Dustin Brown. And the, the coach before Sutter was Andy Murray, if memory serves. And Andy Murray was, you know, very technically qualified and competent coach, but he was very kind of X's and O's driven. And at some point, you know, they didn't have great results necessarily. You know, they were a playoff, I think out of the playoffs when he got fired. And when Daryl Sutter came in, he just said, look, let's, let's simplify, let's play fast. 
let's play with effort and let's just play simple. Right. So he, he came into a situation where the players were already very good and the system was already pretty sound and he just kind of simplified everybody's thought process and they were able to play more free. And ultimately they, they went on that great run. Right. And, and I think it was a very similar situation with Calgary when he came back here the second time where, um, you know, I saw Gullitson and, and Jeff were trying to do some different things tactically. And then when Sutter came in, it was just, it looked like a slightly more modern version of the same system he ran in LA, which was very effective, right? Yeah. It was meat, meat and potatoes. Um, don't force the play if it's not there. Let's arrive there with numbers. Let's outbattle them to pucks. But we also value possession and up ice pressure and, you know, uh, Basically, you know, even though Daryl Sutter is the opposite of some of someone that you would consider progressive, like <laughs> the way that he plays, the way he he wants his team to play, lends itself very well to showing up well analytically. Because again, as I said, they get up ice and they stay up ice, yeah. and that's what good hockey is essentially. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, we we definitely we hear heard a lot of a lot of that when Daryl was Sutter or Daryl Sutter was hired. Um, just across the league fans and whatnot, not even just Flames fans, a lot of maybe it was Weathers fans speaking us that he's a dinosaur or he's old. But yeah, if you look at his, even in LA, his teams were always really good analytically. And I think probably for a lot of those, you know, points you mentioned, like if you're comparing Daryl to the rest of the league, because we, you always get this saying, right? Oh, though the game's passed him by. I mean, he proved last season that it hasn't. Um, but if you're comparing his style of coaching across the league to other good teams, um, why is, why is his, his coaching effective and, and some other coaching tactics just don't seem to fit across the league? Like, how does he match up? Okay. So, um, and, and I've, I've described a kind of an illustrated form in one of my eBooks, the most recent one, which is called uh, hockey tactics, 2022, but basically um, a Sutter team is a dump and chase team. They're not doing anything crazy off the rush. Uh, and, and that's why like, they're usually good at controlling play, but not so good at scoring is because most, most goals in hockey come off the rush. Uh, but the, the, the way that they, they get up ice is they get up the strong side. So they cut the ice in half. They try to outman you with all five players in this kind of relatively narrow corridor they it, it's almost like a rugby play where they just push the puck into the offensive zone and then they shoot and retrieve until either you get the puck and clear it out or they score or your goalie freezes it. it's basically like i would call it almost like a dump truck style of offense like they don't care how they get there as long yeah. as they get there mm-hmm. yeah. and the thing that really surprised me last year and which was directly responsible for you know the flames having such a great season is basically three lines out of four had to play the Sutter way, but then the top line could do kind of whatever they wanted. So what would happen is up and down the lineup lines, two, three, and four, they would play, I don't know. They would play for zero, zero or one, one. And then the top line, they, they win the game two, zero or two, one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the question is, can, uh, can the flames find either one super line or two, you know, good lines and then have the bottom six, just make sure nothing good or bad happens either way. And then win the game with their top six. 
that yeah. that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah. If you're looking at, I mean, it's funny how you say that. Like I, I don't know how much you remember from 04. It's all very, it's, vivid for, it's all yeah. very vivid for flames fans. We'll never forget it. But what happened is this team just started to blossom into, like you were just saying, I, I, the way I describe it is this relentless forechecking where you just knew you were going to get the puck back. As soon as you get in the offensive zone, it didn't matter who had it going in. You just knew the flames were going to retrieve it. And over a seven game series, it was just delicious to watch because over time you're like, Oh my God, like we are literally taking control over this game, over this series, just in the offensive zone, the four check. Um, so, I mean, we saw the extreme of that in 04, which led to some, some great success. It was in, so, you know, but we won the Stanley cup. So we won the Stanley cup, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's funny that you know you, that you mentioned that, and that's uh, something we've seen in the past as well. Yeah, and and I think the the only new piece that I really foresee, which we started seeing last year also with Oliver Shillington, is having the D's a little bit more involved off the mm-hmm. rush offensively, and, and this is one area that I think Sutter is actually, you know, he, he he's actually been a lot more open minded than in years past with LA, especially. So now we have, you know, Shillington joining the rush or Rasmus Anderson joining the rush or Hannafin or Uyghur now. So on those sort of rush plays or on those re-entry plays, having it's a little bit more active is going to, is certainly going to help things too. So, I mean, defensively, I think they're really well positioned to play the kind of game that they want to play now with Uyghur. Uh, and, and then now Tanev is going to be able to play maybe more on the third pair and you can manage his minutes a little bit better. And, and I think the main challenge is getting Huberto to buy in and to be comfortable and then leveraging his kind of unique assets off the rush and at three on three, because remember he's the best three on three player in the league. Yeah. And in the right, re- in the regular season, it matters quite a bit in the playoffs, not at all, but at least if you want to go back and, and try to approach that, you know, six, seven, seven point percentage from last year, then, you know, being good at three on three is going to, is going to help a lot. What are some, yeah. like you, you mentioned that, right? Like trying to get Huberto to buy in. Cause that's something we heard about Gaudreau when Sutter was first hired. It's like, Oh, he's not a, he's not a Sutter guy. It'll be a disaster, blah, blah, blah. Like from your perspective, like maybe from like a player development type thing, like how do you work with a guy? Just like say you do buy in, like right buy into this. We'll have so much more team success. Is there any like broad stroke points on that that you can like give us a bit of insight into? So I, I feel like all things considered, it's it's not a bad scenario for Huberto because first of all, last year, I think that Goudreau-Sutter relationship ended up working out really well. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that precedent. And I think if we're just talking about one player that plays a very different style than everybody else in the top six, as a coach, I think you can give that player some leash because you know that if Huberto turns it over, whether it's Kadri or Lindholm or Blake Coleman or Manjapani or Toffoli, like, like they're going to be there defensively, right? So Huberto can play a little bit more free and then he can do things that all the other guys can't do. So we're just going to take advantage of that, right? So again, whether it's Calgary last year or Dallas last year or Boston Every year, it's the top line guys get special permissions, but they produce and they still try to do the best that they can to, to fit into the team system. You mentioned something interesting there, uh, throwing Tanev on the third pairing. This guy, um, I mean, when we first acquired him from an analytic perspective, we we're kind of like, 
geez, don't know how this is going to go. But uh, he was phenomenal last season, even good in the playoffs, playing with with like one arm essentially. Um, you kind of think, you know, just looking on paper that you slot him in on the top pairing, but it's an interesting concept of sheltering his minutes a bit more. It was that was his first full season I think he's ever played, and the guy plays very tough minutes. He doesn't take a, a shift off, kind of like Giordano. But uh, what? Uh, how do you think you would roll the pairings to start the season, or even what would be your season strategy? I mean, if everybody's healthy, you can almost roll lines, like at least roll the pairs on the right side. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't see any reason why you would have to shelter any one of those players in particular. Uh, they're they're all good two way defensemen. I guess it depends who's on the left side because I'm a little bit less familiar. Um, for for Tanev, it's just if, if he's healthy and if he's feeling good, he's still a good player, right? Like you know, analytically, of course, the the last bit in Vancouver was kind of rough. But then you also see that now that he's gone, Quinn Hughes is not as good as he, yeah, not as yeah. good as he used to be, right? Yeah. So there's something there, but you know, for players at that age, it's like as a human being, like if you're not healthy, if you don't feel good, then of course you're not going to be at your best. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that you guys want to talk about Yusuf Valimaki. Like I haven't really looked into his case recently, but he like he's had a ton of injuries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how could you? how can you get in the gym or get on the ice or get better or add things to your game? If you can't even do anything, like it's tough. Yeah. Well, and you can't, you're not, you're not in the game simulation. That's where you, where you really advance your game. So would you start the season Tana with, with, with a year one, two top pairing? Well, see, now you got two righties together. So Uyghur can play the left. So that, that could be a top pair that could work. Because because Uyghurs when Uyghur played with Ekblad, he played the left yeah. side and he was excellent. Uh, so you know if you want to have, um, so then Shillington played. Yeah. Shillington was with Tannen last year. Yeah, season, that's correct? right. Yeah. yeah, right. And then you had Zadorov and Hannafin Anderson, Zadorov Gabranson. So Gabranson's gone, but um you have Uyghur now so I I think most people have it mapped out right now. Uyghur, Tanev, Hannafin Anderson. Shillington's out for a bit. When would he get back? Back like Shillington's Zadorov type thing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how people have it mapped out. I don't know how what your thoughts I, are. I mean, like like last year, Calgary went top four, and then the third pair didn't play yeah. up that much. So mm-hmm. you know, it's it's going to be nothing new to them, and and that's going to be fine, especially in the regular season where you don't have to worry about the other team catching on as much. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, just like a. Quick follow up, not even specifically about Valimaki, but like again, from like a player development perspective, like what do you do with like a young guy who's had so much promise? Like back when Valimaki was drafted in like you know, first year pro, like he looked like a stud, guy looked great. He had a huge injury, rehabbed, came back the next year. He was playing overseas, looked great, came back, got hurt again, had trouble. Like with a guy who's young like that, who had so much raw talent, like what can you what can you do like how long do you work with a guy like that like is there any what can you do for a guy who has so had so much raw talent showed so many signs of being such a great player and then just got like either bombarded by injury and just all kinds of developmental delays like how do you work with that it's tough for me to say you know without knowing the specifics but first of all you got to make sure that he stays healthy like that's like if you don't have health, you don't have anything that you can build on. 
Um, I remember uh, when I was with the Leafs, I, I did a study on all of Calgary's defensemen at the time. So it was like Hamilton, Giordano, TJ Brody, Valimaki, Anderson, Shillington. And out of that bunch, like Valimaki was the best at retrieving pucks. And he was so patient on retrievals, like shaking and baking guys, mm -hmm. like looking them off. Um, I remember talking to some of my colleagues who weren't, they weren't a huge fan of his, his pace or his ability to kind of play up ice very fast. Like let's say Shillington can, right. But, but, but he, he's definitely got something that's, that's elite um, in terms of his ability to retrieve the puck and, and to beat that first four checker. And, and again, like he missed a whole year with a knee injury. So yeah. maybe some of that quickness, he'll never get back. But, you know, at, at 23, potentially he's got another 10 years of NHL usefulness yeah. if, if they do this right. So it's it's about being patient and just, again, he's got to be healthy. And then once you have that, then you gradually add things to his game. Because if, let's say, he, he's in a position to make the NHL uh, team with, you know, with Shillington out and you get him 10 games with Mackenzie Weger, maybe some of that puck poise and that timing comes back because either he's going to play with Uyghur or with Tanev or with um, Anderson and any of those three would be an excellent partner for him because they can both do a bit of everything and then they can really read off each other. So, so just finding a way to, to get him up to speed and back into NHL minutes. I think it's, it's going to be the best thing. For yeah. Him. Patience is a virtue. It's funny, right? Like the guy's like 23 and I mean, even we're guilty of it. We're like, Oh, he's done. You write him off. Can we trade it? Like he's going to be out of here. I mean, maybe in a few years he'll end up on the Leafs like every other like, Flames defenseman. <laughs> yeah, so you guys collect all of our favorite defensemen. So, um, all right, yeah. cool, man. I think I think I that was that was great. I I'm good. You good, Jordan? Yeah, Jack. Uh, who's your favorite Calgary Flame? <laughs> all time or 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 just both. Right, right now? Yeah, you have, both. you have both. All time is Al McInnes. Ooh, excellent all choice. All time, yeah. The worst, Kurt, the Kurt. worst thing about Al, just a quick anecdote, is that they didn't retire his number, but it's like in the rafters as like an honored number. It's te it's terrible, yeah. so bad. I gotta go with Gary Roberts, so it covers both spectrums here, flames okay. and leaves. Okay, all time. But you have a current yeah. favorite flame. Uh, I, I really like Toffoli's game because that's kind of how I used to play when nice. when I played in high school, like just absolutely nothing off the rush, but I, I would find these soft spots and, and score. So, so nice. he, like, I, I appreciate a guy who has bad boots, but he's, who's really smart and, and he's definitely that. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. Hey, cool, man. So people can find you on Twitter. Um, must follow on Twitter. Your, uh, you have a new ebook out. It's analytics for coaches. Is that correct? It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so it's, um, it's priced higher than my eBooks. It's $75 us, but essentially it's addressed to coaches who are serious about implementing analytics, who don't know where to start. I, yeah. I make it really easy for you. It's two hours of video instruction with some concrete steps that you can use to start calculating your team's course and zone exit zone entries, all the other good stuff. I've had U10 coaches buy it and tell me that they're, they're doing great. I've also had, uh, pro and major junior coaches who bought it, who, who are, are making use of it. So maybe check that out. If you don't work in hockey full-time, then just follow me on Twitter at, uh, J H A N H K Y. And then, um, I, I think you'll learn plenty.
your blog is awesome too. And I mean, the, the hockey tactics playbook is a must buy every year for like everyone. I always buy it and I tell everyone to buy it. So, um, and you, that's, you, are you working for a, you're working for a hockey team too now, are you? Is that right? So, uh, I, I'm, I'm mostly working from home this year. I'm working with, uh, the Connecticut whale of the PHF. So that's women's professional hockey. Uh, it's my second season with them last year. We had a really great year. We went from, uh, last in the league in the pre COVID season to first in the league in the regular season. Oh, wow, and nice. We ended up losing in the final to Boston, but really great year. And, and I love working women's hockey. It, it's such a great venue to, you know, progress and, and to try new things. And also I'm working with a professional men's team in the Swiss national league. So we're working with some really high end players. We, we've had a pretty good start to the season and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to share the name, but um, <laughs> re- really optimistic and, and really enjoying working with them. So nice. cool. may, maybe back to the NHL in the future, but uh, right now I'm really happy just being in the public sphere and, uh, and, and doing, doing all the fun things I'm doing now. Come work for the flame someday. We, we, we need a guy like you. <laughs> Maybe oh, if man. you have me on again, I can tell you my Calgary Flame uh, story <laughs> where I got to meet uh, Chris Snow and Brian Burke. So anyway. what? No way. May- maybe next time. Okay, that's we'll bonus material. Time. Yeah, yeah. Sweet man. All right. Well, we appreciate your time. It's been a blast. You have great okay. insights. So thanks, okay, buddy. That's sweet. Take care, take care and uh, have a good season. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks, Jack. See ya. Thanks. See ya. NFL action is in full swing over DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code THPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That code is THPN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Support for the Hockey Podcast Network comes from Raycon. Raycon wireless earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They have gel tips. They won't fall out of your ears. They fit in perfectly. They give you eight hours of playtime, have a 32-hour battery life, and they're not $10 million either. So you get quality audio at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews. So go to buyraycon.com today and use code THPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That code is THPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code THPN15. Okay, folks, there you have it. Jack Hahn, that was great. Yeah, awesome, it'd, it'd dude. Be cool. You mentioned uh, come to Calgary. It'd be cool if him and Kent Wilson teamed up and... Frick yeah, ran this thing. <laughs> ran this thing, eh? Just... Uh, Pulled, pulled, uh, good old Brad. Pulled Brad, what to do? Yeah. Although I don't know, if Brad needs. To I don't even need any currently. telling anymore. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But he's. We'll he's, see. It was a bit sobering, though, listening to. His well, I, on, I think he on, makes a good point, right? Because like, um, we are kind of all expe- like even jo- even in the context of Gaudreau having such an insane season last year. Like Huberto true. had a similar season. It's like a lot of that's not going to be repeatable. I like. I think he is still a really good player and a, a star in this league, but like, I'm, are you expecting him to put up the most, uh, t- like he put up the most amount of assists by a left winger in league history last season. So I, I don't know if we're expecting that again. So depends how many three on three overtime games. We see, we'll I see guess. guys good at three on three and yeah, boy, did he three. look good last night against the Oilers. And I know it was their freaking AHL squad, but 
He looks pretty good. Well, isn't the Oilers team in the AHL squad usually? Minus oh, no, players? no, no. The freaking oh, no. oh. Edmonton Sun had a big article about how the Flames oh. can only beat the Oilers in when it doesn't matter this today. It's like, oh, my oh, Lord. Yeah. It's so funny. Preseason Oilers fans are so fucking butthurt that we kicked their ass for nothing. Dude. Hey, the, literally, the Oilers is, are the yeah. only team in the league where if you lose to them, yeah, then you're a loser. And if you beat them somehow, you're still a fucking loser, even when you beat them. See, it's, even just if, the, yeah. it's the most miraculous thing, really, if you think about it from a fan base perspective. It's like, how do they somehow they just turn it? So no matter what, you're the loser. We're delusional. And even if we beat them in that second round, like, you know, nothing would change in terms of it'd be the exact same shit. Yeah. It's just brutal. Um, so, yeah, maybe Nas can freaking I, I you know what I am. I think Nas will be able to take us to a level against the others that maybe we haven't been able to get to. Well, even there's just the center depth you have back as your third C. What if the third C is a shutdown line and you roll, you're just matching up Nas and Backlund against McDavid for the whole series. They take turns and oh, yeah. uh, you just, you know, you, well, you, you, you basically lean on Nas and his line to score some goals against McDavid and then Backlund's yeah. strict a shutdown. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. The top six matches up against them better, but oh, stupid Oilers. So, okay, preseason. The camp so far, what we've seen, they've played, what, two inter-squad games or one inter-squad game. They've played two uh, preseason games against the Canucks, home and away. I was actually, I went to the, I I was in Vancouver. I was in Vancouver for the weekend, and I was like, fuck. It was a good game. It was a good game. Dustin Wolf was great. Dustin Wolf was fantastic. Mike Update Stone game winner. Mike Stone game winner. It was funny because uh, there's a lot of penalties called in that game in yeah. Vancouver. And I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think the Canucks had like eight power plays and the, the Flames had six. And then we got one in, in overtime. Mm-hmm. But Michael Stone was the trigger man. We saw it last night in, in last night's game too. <laughs> He's the trigger man on the power play. Well, anyways, I started blasting that stone, just blasting from everywhere. Yeah, he didn't have, I don't think, one effective shot in the game in Vancouver until until overtime. So yeah. it was nice, and that was a fucking nice goal, man. That felt good. That was that was sweet. Nice little feed from Matt Phillips. Yeah, that was freaking awesome. And then Stone looked good last night against the Oilers once again. How is this guy not going to make the team, or at least get a? He's getting a contract. Yeah, like it feel you'd feel pretty bad not giving him a contract at this point. How about that Seattle game? That was a snooze. That was a snooze fest. That was bad. That was really bad. Daryl was not impressed. Nobody was particularly impressed. And you know what? It was an annoying game because that's that's a game where some of the guys in the bubble, yeah, yeah, you want to see a lot from guys like Sonny Milano or Adam Rosicka or Yusuf Valamaki or anybody and the only guy who seemed to be interested in playing the game was Dan Vladar. So fuck you. So look brutal. He's been the Vladar's been good though, but yeah, you did not. That was a bad look in that Seattle he, game. You so looked bad in Vancouver yeah. too. Yeah. It's what if, it's been rough, man. What have you uh, seen from Milano so far? Uh, I don't know. Probably not as much as I'd want. No, you're leaves you wanting more. Leaves I mean, you wanting. Darryl, Darryl even said, yeah. Start camp. What do you? They asked him what he need to see from Milano a lot fast. Yeah, 
and uh, half his opportunity to impress the coach is gone. He's already played two games. What has he got? Two left. So what, they I don't play know the man. Oilers on Saturday or Friday. They play the Egan Oilers tomorrow. I think Egan's looked better, hasn't he? It's hard to tell because Milano played in that game with a pretty much skeleton crew, where Egan played with. Um, he some played a, the other game against, like you know, with some real guys. So it's hard to parse that out. I don't know. I would still risk signing Milano, right? Like, I think there's still enough skill, raw skill and yeah. speed and talent there that is like, there's literally no, no risk. But I don't know. He has like, nobody's really, none of the guys on the bubble have really stood out, like have made a huge case. I think other than Matthew Phillips in that one game, he wasn't great against Seattle, but I thought he was really good against Vancouver. Well, who's the who, who's that one guy who scored the first goal in Vancouver? He almost scored again against the Oilers last night. Well, there's been a few close. guys who are just kind of like randoms who have stood out. Like Brett yeah. Sutter has two goals. Brett Sutter's looked good. Daryl doesn't give a shit though. <laughs> no. Hey, coach, is it uh, special to see? You know, is that Brett? Is that Daryl's son? Yeah. Yeah. Is it special? No. Is it special? No. We've been doing it for thirty years. Fucking preseason. Oh, no. okay. The best, like Daryl's in mid pre in mid season form is the media, dude. Mid season guy absolutely roasts Matthew Kachuk. Absolute roasting. This is the this could be roasting of the season already. Preseason. We're a week into fucking camp. And he's got fucking roasted the season. And then like if you haven't heard it, because maybe we'll, we'll, let's put it in. Let's put it in. As far as their skill sets, any comparisons between Kachuk and Toffoli? Uh, one guy's won Stanley Cups. Been a big part of long playoff runs. Holy fuck, eh? Roast. <laughs> How do you like getting roasted, Matthew Kachuk? You know he's probably heard that by now. Oh, 100%. Probably fucking Ryan Leslie probably sent it to him, eh? Our boy. Totally DM'd it right to him. It's funny because, like, people are kind of like, oh, I can't believe Daryl would do that. So like, if, if Kachuk was on the team, he would do that. Like, this is the guy who, after what was it, game four in the playoffs, when Gaudreau missed that like wide open net against Dallas, is like rather have a guy who scores big goals than a guy who scores regular season goals. Yeah, well, it's interesting because didn't that come up with the interview with Leslie? That part of the whole, yeah. uh, you know, Daryl's thing was during the season, and everybody was hitting their individual achievements—the hundred points, the yeah. forty yeah. goals, yeah. and Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau one night after the other—and that's when he said that. Right? No, I'd rather have a guy that score a fucking big goal. One big, just give me one big goal in the playoffs, which Johnny Gaudreau did. So did Matthew Kachuk in game seven against the Stars. So they did. But how about two then? How about fucking against the Oilers? How about a long Stanley Cup run? Yes. Anyways, one's one Stanley Cups. That's the difference and had been a part of long runs. Anyways, again, preseason, it's hard to you know parse out much from preseason but again like you look at a guy if you want to make the team like look at what shillington did last year it was like in this at about this time last year it was like apparent that oliver shillington was killing it and he was like this guy's gonna make the team because he's been so good in two or three games like he's been so heads in a head and shoulders better than everybody and we haven't really seen that from anyone who has a shot of making this team yet i don't think like again pelche has been good in spurts. Phillips has been good in spurts. You know, you know who I, who we have? Michael Stone. Yeah, Stone. 
So don't but be seriously, surprised. some of the more low key guys like Ben Jones, I thought had a really good game the other night, like against the Kraken. Even I thought he was one of the better guys. And it's like, who's Ben Jones? I don't know, but he looked pretty good. Yes. Was Brett Sutter had a couple good games. And there's what is the other guy's name? He scored the first goal again in Vancouver. Was it Clark Bishop? I don't think it's Bishop. I'm looking at this guy's name. Never heard of this guy. Yeah, I think it was. But I think he, he scored again. He almost scored again last night. He was close. Yeah, so it's some of those guys that have really, and again, they're not going to make the team. So it's just kind of like, man, if you if you wanted to make a case to put your stamp on making the team, and even Rosica and Daryl kind of ripped into him, kind of. He ripped into him after the Seattle game, said he wasn't efficient at all. Um, yeah, like you haven't made a huge impact on the team. Where it's like, hey, we're we're gonna play code, we're gonna sign Cody Eakin because you haven't shown much, right? So we'll go with the guy who's a veteran. Yeah. And I mean it's hard, right? It's hard to get to make an impact, but yeah, you, like I said, it's shit you gotta do it like Shillington did last year. It's like make them in, make make it impossible for them to not have a roster spot for you. Yeah, you're right. We just haven't really except for Michael Stone. Michael Stone is making a serious <laughs> case, right? Like, hey, if Shillington is injured for a little while, yeah, how does this guy not crack the, well, crack yeah. the roster? It's just hard to like see them not signing him. I don't know if he'll be on the opening roster because at I this think, pace, at this yeah. pace, I think, I think they'd probably prefer Milosh, who I don't know, like, is he uh, like? If I watched a game, any of the games that I've watched, I watched the Seattle game and I watched the Vancouver away game. And the game last night, like I couldn't tell you where Nick Malosh is, but I kind of feel like it's his spot to lose. It's between him and Valimaki, and then Stone's making his case. So, what have your thoughts been on the lines and the pairings that you've seen so far in camp? Um, they're really taking a good look at Defoli up there on the top line. Yep, and yeah, I don't know. Like they looked pretty good last night. They had a bit going last night, and I mean, like Daryl said, it's going to take them freaking forever to get some chemistry going. Yeah, but I don't know. I thought Huberto was buzzing last night. He sent a few passes to Toffoli that, like, maybe he hasn't been ready for. You know, playing with a new guy and playing with a guy who can get you the puck in in a really elite way. It's like, oh shit, I didn't think that was coming to me. So, yeah, there's one sick pass you saw in the highlights where he just fucking basically threaded it through yeah. the smallest little tiny gap right onto Toffoli's stick. No finish though on that one. But so I don't know. I I like. I don't know. I I'm I want Manji to get some games, and that's what just kind of what I'm looking forward to. Freaking Kadri was I go? Oh, it was against the AHL Oilers, but Kadri looked fucking awesome last night. Dude, like I said, their team is. I guess they got some new additions since they are but, an AHL team. It was yeah. funny. Backlund played on the wing last night with Kadri and Coleman, just because they had a bunch of guys playing. But somebody reminded me of. Okay, I remember the awful Michael Backlund on the wing line from Jeff Ward. But somebody's like, hey, remember when he put Johnny Gaudreau on the third line with Derek Ryan and Milan Lucic? Do you remember that? I did. Is that when the only solution was to bench fucking Monaghan and Gaudreau? I think so. Holy shit, dude. I think that was like, it was Lindholm, Dubé, and Kachuk were the top line. And then it was like Monaghan, Mangiapane, and who knows else, who else. And then freaking, he had Gaudreau with Lucci. Oh, God. What a fucking disaster, dude. So, I don't know. I, I In terms of guys who are going to make the team, I don't know. I, I hope Matthew Phillips plays a couple really good games because he's one of my favorites. But I don't know. I It doesn't look like anyone's really staking a claim to a role that would 
not be one of the guys like Milano or Eakin. So, yeah. Well, there's good goodness is there's still quite a bit of camp left. So, if you're one of these players and you haven't done that yet, you still have a bit of time to fucking get your ass in gear. But yeah, like you said, no one's really standing out much at this point. Sam Vladar has been great. That's kind of like the only guy who, other than the top guys, who has been like, wow, he's been really good. Already on the team. Yeah. Well, anything else from camp? I mean, not not a lot to watch. I honestly, I haven't. Uh, I watched a bit of the Oilers game last night. I watched the first period of Seattle, and that was fucking terrible. Okay, the one thing it was good though, the Seattle game. The only reason I kept watching it is there was no commentary. Oh, was that a treat? You liked that, eh? It's like see during preseason when I don't know who any of the players are. It's kind of nice having the commentary, but I love no commentary. I'd pay so much money. The only I was gonna say, you know who else actually has looked good? Dustin Wolf. Oh yeah, he's been. But we know he's. He's not no, he's not on the team, yeah. but dude, he's the proving looks bright with Dustin Wolf, man. He's proving why he was yeah. that game in Vancouver that I watched. Yeah. I yeah. would say he was he the was best player. Awesome. Flames. He was yeah, so he was good. The only other piece of news is kind of like the McKenzie Weger thing, the, the pending contract, the take it to the bank, the take it to the bank. Um, Steinberg. It seems to be that we're all kind of wringing our hands because Elliot Freeman is reporting that Uyghur will not or does not want to negotiate during the season. So if this doesn't get done before the season starts, it won't get done until the off season. And we've seen that before. We've seen this song before. So sure have. I don't know. It feels like given the fact everybody's so open about it, it feels like it's going to get done. People are saying it's just kind of like, you know, it's like... I, I will never believe any reporting on a done deal ever again in my entire life since I was fucking burned by Craig Conroy and look like an absolute moron for like being so certain Johnny Gaudreau is going to re- resign. So I can't until it's pen to paper, you can't take anything to the bank. So I don't know. Do you think it gets done? I don't frick. I don't know. It's, it feels like it will, but who knows? Time's running out here. Well, you still have, I guess you still got like two weeks. Well, you don't have that, that much time. When's the first opening day? I think the opening 9th? day is the 13th. I thought it was the 9th. You well, better double check that. I'm going to double check. I think it's the 13th. Double check it. Double check it. The Flames season opens on the 13th. Oh, yeah. You got two weeks. Yeah. That's loads of time. That's loads of time. Just get it. The snow is coming, Brad. Weger's having a good camp. Boy, did he look good last night. Zadorov absolutely plastered fucking... Who was that last night? Dude, even without Shillington, our D looks so good. Yeah. The D looks fucking great. Yeah. Tanov hasn't played though, has he? No, he hasn't played yet. I don't yeah, without without Tanov and Shillington, yeah. they look great. So they look really good. Except for did you see Rass's nice uh whiffs on the power play against I think it was the first game. No, didn't see that yeah. one. Rass was, was in, I Rass was, uh, was in full uh was in full I was watching season. Oh, you were in Vancouver. That's right. I was, yeah, I was watching live. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was actually it was a good venue. It was a good, good outing, good atmosphere in there. Lots of Flames fans. Saw lots of Flames fans walking around. So that was good. Jerseys and all, you know. Yeah. So what's next for camp? We got the Oilers on Friday in Edmonton. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. They're going to seek revenge and fucking. Yeah. Oh, see? see? Watch, we'll beat them, man. If we beat them, they'll still be like, yeah, man. oh, yeah, this is why you're still a loser and we're better. 
even though you beat us twice, you're actually the losers. You didn't actually beat us twice. We let you beat us or this happened or the whatever. It's you're the loser, not us. Loser. That's right. Um, one guy who did look really good was Ilya Solviev last night. He's not going to make the team, but he was freaking great, I thought, on D. So, I don't know. I'm just kind of still watching some of these guys who are on the bubble, like Razichka. I really hope Matt Phillips makes a push. And I don't know. You probably have to see a bit more out of Sonny Milano, but I don't know. Yeah. Even you, so same thing. Well, yeah. lots, lots, uh, lots of camp left. We'll, uh, we'll definitely have another podcast soon once we see a little bit more and see some cuts happening. And yeah, I think there'll there's... be cuts. There'll probably be cuts after tomorrow's game, I think. Hopefully there's some storylines here. Maybe we'll beat the others with the, with the A squad or the B squad. Eh? At this point, Daryl's press conferences, I, I mean, at any point this season, they're still the most entertaining part of the of the whole thing. Yeah. Cushion. Cushion is a pillow with feathers. Cushion. Cushion is a pillow with feathers. Right? Liability in the playoffs, you can kiss my ass.